And Pete will join in two minutes. So okay. if we can wait, I will be grateful. And then we can start. Mm. Wait, just for you, Daniel. I think we should start with Alan. It would be hilarious. And then to have somebody actually come late to a podcast. It's like, funny. But I'm going to do it. So when he comes in, okay. I'm going to act like we're actually having the conversation. And, Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. Good idea. It's hard. Wait, uh, start talking. Okay. Start talking. Great. Here he comes. Okay. Is he coming? Okay. Yeah. Go. Yeah, that's really interesting, Daniel. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's fascinating. Um, oh, and I think this is kind of a first, but never had actually somebody join late to a podcast in recording before. But welcome, Pete Borlogan. To the podcast. Say hello to the listeners. Hello, everyone. I apologize. Uh, this is embarrassing, and now it will be documented, apparently. Oh, this is documented. To hear. Yeah. See that little All record right. button up there? We recorded it. <laughs> All right. Yeah. All right. Thanks for joining us, Pete. Apologize, but I think at some point it'll get all cut up and uh, rejiggered, right? No. No, we're no, this is it straight. Yeah. Okay. Right. It was out straight just like this. Yeah. yeah, exactly. We're out to the masses right now. Did you not know yeah. how we switched it up? And so oh. we're not doing a recorded we're, one anymore. We're just, just live. Straight live. Yeah, really exactly. Ready. All right. Yeah. Well, you think those smartless <laughs> guys edit? Right. All right. Hey, uh, in all seriousness, we hadn't started yet. We just wanted to bust your chops. It's really right. funny. Oh, we <laughs> we have we have a fun time doing that. <laughs> Oh, okay. Yeah, man, I was trying to be all professional. I was like, uh, what are they even talking about? <laughs> we don't know. We don't know what we're talking about. All right, Abril, Bill, are we ready to go? Yeah, we're going to run out of time, so yeah, let's, let's get started. Let's do it. All right, we are here with a couple of my favorite people, to be honest, Shelly. A couple of my really, really favorite people from one of my favorite partners, Formula yep. 5. Do you know Do you know who's here, Shelly? You know yes, who's here. Formula 5, Daniel and Pete. I love it. Oh, hello. I bet Daniel has more certifications already because last time we talked to him, he was working out certifications. I bet he's added another one. He's written two more books. Probably. (laughs) I I have some, yes. Uh, And also, uh, yeah, there is a new plural side course on the horizon. So, of course, uh, there is. Stay tuned. But anyway, hello. Nice to see you guys again. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being here. And Mr. Orologus, I'd like to get you while you're sipping your coffee, uh, trying to get into the groove and get awake for the podcast. But <laughs> get a little juice going, yeah. A little get excitement. a little juice going. Um, Good to see you again. Uh, thanks, man. Thanks for having us back. We're excited. You know, we thought the first one went really well, and uh, now that we're going public and out to the masses, uh, really uh, grateful for being invited back. Talking about Azure. Who doesn't want to talk about Azure? I mean, I do. I like talking about Azure. I do too. Me too. And we're going to talk about some cool stuff. So I think today we've decided we want to talk a little bit about the changing landscape. And then we're not just talking about springtime landscaping and things like that. It's uh, dad jokes. Here. God, it's I love dad here. jokes. Sorry. I love dad jokes. They're so <laughs> yeah. awesome. We're going to start in with the really stupid jokes early. But no, really, the, I think the changing landscape since COVID, obviously pandemic, some things happen. People threw a whole lot of money at problems for a few years, and now we're starting to maybe reel things back in a little bit more or analyze some of the costs, some of the things yeah. that we spent on, maybe some of the things that companies feel like maybe they overspent on. I, I don't know, but let's get into it. What are you seeing? What do you think, Pete? Yeah, let me. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna do a one second on Formula Five. And when I say one second, I mean literally one second. So. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Formula Lord, Five. What is your organization? <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, you know what? Just, I like to get straight into the topic. I don't really. So yeah. Credential so a little bit. So people are like, who is this guy even talking to us? So at Formula 5, you know, we're a top tier partner at Microsoft working in the enterprise. And you mentioned some of kind of Daniel's credentials, a time plural site author, Microsoft MVP. We hire the top of the top uh, people. So we keep a very small shop, but very heavy on the advisory and uh, helping clients not just innovate, but figure out like, how do I really adopt this cloud in an efficient, effective manner for our organization? And where we really push is on platform engineering. So we're looking to provide more of a platform for organizations for self-service for their environment, for their people. And we'll talk a little bit about that because back to the landscape question, what are we seeing in the landscape is we've seen a radical shift from this very, very heavy innovation and spend money on getting us into the cloud as fast as possible. Everyone was basically pulling out all the stops. Money was free, essentially. So, and there was a, a heavy necessity, right? This heavy necessity to get to the cloud for remote work. Yeah. And since then, and I think we have all, you know, been watching the news and looking at what's going on. And I think everyone feels and everyone will talk to you about there's some sort of bubble, but no one knows. Is it, when's this bubble going to burst, right? Oh, and we saw- be nervous about, I hate it. Yeah, and that's the I don't like to worry about things, man. That nervousness is stopping people from doing anything, honestly. Like, we're seeing hiring freezes. We're seeing budget freezes. So budgets like, hey, my budget's the exact same it was last year. Sometimes we're seeing them even less. So organizations now are coming back to us and saying, less on the innovation. Like, what we need to know is how to be more efficient with the resources that we have and also how to do more with less. And really like what that translates into from a Microsoft perspective or from a partner perspective is a lot of the conversations we're having right now are heavy on automation, which is great because now we're starting to see the level of maturity of organizations kind of rise because now they're starting to realize I can't be that gatekeeper or that blocker for every single request that comes in. Is there a better way to do this? Which is awesome because now with like people are starting to come to us with like, hey, how do we automate this? And we're not talking about automating just a machine. Right. And we're not saying just like, hey, hey, how do we deploy a service? Right. We're talking yeah. about automatically deploying full landing zones and GitHub and DevOps included with pipelines. And in some instances, we've actually used OpenAI to also put in user stories into the backlog in GitHub. So we've had clients who have said, so there's still, I guess, a little bit of innovation there. That's, by the way, one, one really quick segue. The only innovation that we ever hear right now, the only thing people want to know about is OpenAI and ChatGPT. So on <laughs> that instance that I was talking about, we had a client who's requested, hey, look, I want faster time to market on my ideas. We have to write up these sheets about what we're going to do. I can't talk about exactly what it was, but we have to write up these sheets and these papers and we do quick projects and we try to turn these things out. I want to use ChatGPT to write that paper for me. I'm going to give it the idea. And I've already done this. I've already given it the idea and it's actually framed it up very well for me. Then I wanted to produce the high level user stories and test cases for those user stories for you. That's actually a lot of cool. I, I, you kind of brought up some of the future stuff with the, yeah, everybody wants to talk about chat GPT and AI and what, what, what is all that stuff doing? So I, now I'm kind of more curious. I'm almost like, yeah, man, can have a whole show just about just about that um we can talk about it if you guys want to segue we've been doing daniel's gone really heavy on co-pilot like hub 
And yeah. we just did a huge webinar with Microsoft. Um, Daniel can tell you all about how it works and, you know, how, how it's also part of the efficiency thing because it's helping getting developers not writing the same kind of boring code over and over. I would love to hear that, Daniel, because uh, I've been yeah. using it for very layman, very stupid purposes. Like uh, I need a sentence rewritten and said a different way because I don't, I don't code and do really intelligent things. I just disseminate information. <laughs> so, <laughs> so not true. <laughs> Light this paragraph a different way for me and be more creative than me, ChatGPT. <laughs> Make it sound like a seventh grader, please. Exactly, <laughs> Daniel. Tell us how smart people are using. <laughs> so I want to want to know. Man. Yeah. So Bill, when it comes to rewriting sentences, uh, we, we should laugh because I also tested it, and this is really cool and helpful feature. So uh, this is really powerful, and 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 like I I want to say like in the future for sure I will use it for this purpose too, like rewriting sentences, writing something in the more smart way and so on. This is why we have those tools to use them for these kinds of things. But also on the other side, you know, like, as we mentioned, when it comes to software development and when it comes to GitHub Copilot, uh, this is also a, a big change because when you think about the standard development process, nah, there is always this loop like, okay, you have the team, there are some practices within this team. Uh, there is always some challenge or challenges about writing the code, uh, writing the code in a proper way, using proper practices within the specific framework and so on. And sometimes, you know, you can you can face the challenges like, okay, I have a new person on the team and this person is not familiar with our practices, with our framework and so on. On the other side, you have those senior developers that are so busy, you know, like writing the code, handling the, 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 the other stuff and so on. That is just hard. Uh, to reserve some time to learn those junior developers, for instance. So when you use GitHub Copilot and when you enable it for your organization and you will use it in the IDE, so uh, um, development environment like Visual Studio Code, then you can get some hints directly in the editor. So when you write something like you want to create a new class in the code, like new component, write something, GitHub Copilot will give you those hints. But it's not only about the hints, uh, that will say like, okay, write this specific code in this way and add this parameter in this specific line. But also what is the powerful feature of GitHub Copilot, it will learn the practices within your team, how people write the code or how the project was created, like which framework was used and so on. And then GitHub Copilot will learn and write those hints too for all other people in your team that are using the GitHub Copilot. This is really powerful. There are obviously some other cool things on the horizon, like for instance, uh, the copilot will be used in the pull requests. So you can, you know, like uh, annotate some issues with uh, coding and so on, get some hints uh, uh, again. So I think that in the future, it will be also the, uh, the chance to reduce some time. Because when you think about, for instance, testing your software, yes, once you wrote something, uh, you want to test it, you want to create unit tests, for instance, within your solution. So it's time consuming also. And as we mentioned, Pete nicely said that we want to do more with less. So I think it's right. perfect match here because with GitHub Copilot, in the future, we will be able to generate those unit tests for the code we wrote automatically. So this will be the time reduction. So in the end, yeah, I can uh, truly say that this is doing more with less. 
It's almost like crowdsourcing, more organized crowdsourcing with mentoring built in. Yes, that is correct. Coaching. Yes, exactly. Yeah, Yeah. feel free to use that. It's like crowdsourcing. It's like crowdsourcing inside your own little organization. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because uh, it'll be specific to um, how you guys code. So, for example, they, people may say, like, hey, our naming conventions are like this, or, you know what, when we do our pub sub model, we do it like this, right? And then it's specific to your organization, so then it's like, you don't even have to go ask someone, it'll show you examples, like, as you're typing it up from other files somewhere else, you know, and say, hey, this is how it was in this project, you know, it's a different project than yours, and this is how, mm-hmm. like, to keep consistent, and you just push a button, and it's in there, so... yeah. But yeah, I feel it, like there's, oh, I was just going to say, Pete, I feel like there's, you know, this, always this worry about AI and stuff and that it's going to, to, to replace me as a human or replace my job. But uh, more often than not, the way that I've heard, you know, the experts describe it, and it sounds like the way Daniel is describing it is it won't replace developers, but developers who use AI will replace developers who don't use AI, right? And probably well, the same for a lot of jobs, right? Well said, well said. So, and I had this conversation with some friends who were anti like AI saying things like, I will never use it. Right. And the conversation back to them was, well, if you don't use it, you're going to fall behind because for example, and I know this is way off topic from Microsoft and technology, but like, for example, as I'm using it, let's say to write an email, not only does that save me some time, but sometimes when I have to research something, I'll just say, like, I was looking something up about, like, some stocks, and I didn't understand what some sort of index was. And I just asked it, like, hey, what is this index? And it's like, that index is based on this. Well, what is that? That thing's this. Well, why does that differ from this? Well, that differs from this in these five ways. Okay, cool. Like, I understand those three, but can you speak to me about that one? I was done in 10 minutes. Like, do you know how much, like, page searching and stuff and different things mm-hmm. I have to find? Now, the, the question then turns into, and then we'll get back on topic over this. Well, how do I know ChatGPT is accurate either? Like, it's giving me information. It's being very authoritative as it's giving it to me. So yeah. I'm assuming it like it's the authority, but I don't know if it's right either. You know, it's getting its input. From the <laughs> That's where critical thinking has to come in. You know, you can't, you, yeah, you have to kind of push back on, uh, look at your sources. Well, it's probably to verify. Going to Google, it was, you could search for something and go through 25 pages. But then again, then you start getting that, what is that bias? So I forgot what the bias was. But like, then you're starting like, I'm on page like 79 looking right. for something to justify what I'm looking for, right? Yeah, so I just one sentence, exactly the same with uh, GitHub Copilot. Like, obviously this will provide some recommendations and hints, but we have to, you know, like validate them, repeat them and make sure that, okay, this is the thing I needed, like not blindly use it without any verification. That's what I wanted to say. So. Right. And, yeah. Say on the AI side, like when we talk about cost optimization, kind of going back to the topic, when we talk about uh, doing more with less cost optimization, the AI stuff is interesting. It's like everybody wants to hear about it, but no one's really at this point. There's some companies in there that I know that are implementing it and starting to build some products around it, right? But it's not the low-hanging fruit. It's kind of more of like the sexy idea of innovation and all of this that everyone loves to latch on to. But there's still a lot of stuff where we're working with organizations around improving their processes, right? Whether it's around going for like adopting set DevOps, right? Uh, Or the platform engineering that I spoke about earlier. 
or cost optimization. And we're doing a lot of cost optimization because we saw that huge push into Azure. And then now there's a lot of clients up in Azure who are saying, hey, did I do this for the right way? Um, some organizations, there's kind of two approaches we've seen. It's like moving into a new house, right? Either you're going to take all the stuff from your old house, move it to your new house, and then throw stuff away. Or you're that type of person who's like, we're throwing everything away before we move, and we're cleaning everything up, and we're not lugging the junk over, right? I moved all my crap across the crunchy twice, so... <laughs> your wife loved it. It's a good analogy. I'm helping my uh, a friend move right now, and same thing. You know, I think a lot of it. You have the ideal that you yes, I'm going to donate. I'm going to clean this out. I'm going to get this all organized, and then time crunch comes down, and you're like throw it in a box. Yeah, that's <laughs> it Project timelines, right? It's like yeah, the project exactly. timelines. Like you know what? We can't go all fast or pads. Like let's just move that machine up there. Right. Yeah, and, yeah exactly. and then all of the yeah. budget gets cut, right. you know, and, and then there's also like the migration up to Azure is, um, it's not one or the other. It's not like I've moved from this data center to that data center. I had one month of kind of this overlapping cost, right? It's this transitional cost. So, and that's, that's the hard part that a lot of organizations have to swallow is, Hey, we're moving things up into Azure. There's kind of a cost there that we're adding on now to our budget, right? But we haven't gotten rid of like the data center necessarily. And when we haven't moved enough to offset the cost, right? Or we move things in a way that's not cost optimized. Therefore, we've actually increased our cost. And organizations, if you're in the business side and you're looking at it from just a straight P&L perspective, you're going, hey guys, IT, your costs just went up like 40, 50%. Like what's going on, right? Now, Azure's not that expensive. So let's say 30%, right? Like, hey, there's, there's, there's an increase in cost. Yeah, yeah, what's don't going on? Azure. Yeah, it's not an Azure thing, right? It's not an Azure <laughs> thing. But, the, but then the question no. from the business is like, well, what's the benefit I'm getting, right? Yeah. seems like everything else is running the same. It's all running the exact same way it was. What's the benefit that we've derived from this 30% increase, right? And unless organizations start to move into this high level of automation and can show like, hey, the cost of support per headcount for us, if we take our budget and we divide it across the headcount of the organization and we say our cost was, I'll make it up two bucks ahead, and now it's 10 years later and we're at a buck 80 ahead because we're still doing it now through a high level of automation, we have had to increase our cost to the same level of the organization, then it starts to become interesting, right? So we got to like start to like help kind of these IT I don't want to say IT people, it sounds bad, but it's like help technology guys start to speak into these business terms to help people understand like it's a new paradigm. Like now we're, we're dropping support costs per person because you're going to get that, you're going to get that cost savings later. Like it's not like I'm going to move it to Azure and then tomorrow our cost is 10%, la like 20% less. It doesn't work like that, right? So it's kind of this double jointed thing. Now, one of the things that we're getting uh, uh, pulled into a lot is these cost optimization conversations. And I'm going to let Daniel handle that and talk to you guys about kind of what that looks like. But the one thing I want to just mention and kind of the program and Daniel touch on it is it's like cost optimization. We get pulled in and people think it's an event like come on in, look at our environment, help us. Help us like uh, flip that switch, sure. bring it down. Right. And there's definitely it, things we can do. Reserve the sounds like a project. I mean, all, all the same things that everyone does. Right. It's like, yeah, they think it's a, you think it's a project, but it's really like, it's almost like telling your kid to clean their room. Like, hey, clean your room. It's a mess. <laughs> they go in there, they yes, clean their room. Yeah. 
Two weeks later, what are you doing? Like, your room's a mess again, right? And it's the same thing with Azure. It's it's not about an event, right? It's about a process. And cost optimization is not a, come on in, look at all our stuff, and then just make it cheaper for us. It's, come on in, help us clean up our room, and then help us develop a process, right? Chore list or whatever it is that, hey, that'll keep this thing clean, right? And a lot of that comes through automation, so... Yes. So basically from my side, because I fully agree with you, what you mentioned, Pete, it's, it's not only about, you know, like it's not only about planning, but also what we see that is the approach when you mentioned this platform engineering and and building the platforms. And I think this is the crucial point here because uh, you will not see the, you know, like cost reduction, like after one day. Yes. As you mentioned. And for me, basically uh, what I, what I notice also is the fact that you know, like building the, the platform, moving resources to the Azure cloud will take some time, will take some money. And on the other side, uh, what is really important is the fact that if you will do it properly and if you will, you know, like um, structure those resources in Azure cloud, if you will assess their sizes, tiers and so on, in the future, you will see the real benefit. And if you will also add automation on top of that. So, okay, guys, we reviewed our resources. We know that this solution should look like this and this, and then you will add automation to that. So, so in the end, you will reduce the cost and you will see the cost optimization. So that's what I also see like, okay, so now we have all those different kinds of resources. So let's, uh, let's focus on the automation. So that's why, for instance, at formula five, we created this modular DevSecOps accelerator to help our clients to build this automation. You know, like not only from scratch, but also using some templates and practices. So obviously each environment can be different. Each client is different. But on the other side, we want to make sure that this process will be smooth and we will provide some ideas and automate templates to make it faster. So that's why Pete mentioned that uh, people from, uh, from IT departments or people in the technology should be able to talk to the business about those benefits and those benefits will take will will come after some time yes once the the basics are done in a proper way and now when it comes to cost optimization and and our approach you also mentioned like okay clean up your room like you said to the kid and then after one week there is the same situation and i agree because when we first time i remember our first project around cost optimization it was like okay guys so please reserve some uh, two months. Uh, please dive into our Azure resources. Please assess what's happening there and then provide us the final re- the report with the assessment result and then some recommendations. We will clean it up. Thank you so much, guys. So no, it's not like this. So that's why we decided with Pete that, okay, we have to prepare something. Yes, it, it will not work like this because after three, four months, the situation will be exactly the same with a high level of automation, right? So the more we automate, the more you'll start to see sprawl if you don't have these types of policies and things in control. So sometimes we'll go into an organization who wants us to help them automate and do like the automated application landing zones that I was talking about earlier. And we'll go through there and they'll have no processes or controls, especially around security, and want us to automate these things, and we have to say no. And and you know, and it's hard to walk away from work, but you just know, like, I'm going to do you a huge disservice. We're gonna 
automate this stuff. It's going to sprawl everywhere. You have no processes for controlling it, monitoring it, maintaining it, or securing it. So Pete and Daniel, you're telling us that we have to continue to clean our room. Yes. Yeah, it's not. That's right. Keep it locked up. Okay. All right. All right. Cost optimization, definitely a hot topic. Um, Security, you mentioned that. Also, top of mind. There's a lot of bad guys out there. How do you think about when you're, especially when you're positioning cost optimization, improving the process that it's a continual thing? How do you think, how do you introduce introduce security? Because that can be another cost as well. Yeah, that's a that's a cost people are, are are willing to pay for. With security, there's so many like new threat vectors and people are starting to attack. So like security is a very very broad broad um, conversation. From the platform engineering side, and what we see is when we move into organizations, there's two sides from the security perspective. And even though there's two sides, they're not weighted equally, right? Because I would say 80% of one side that we deal with is security trying to lock down everything at every single level. And it's slowly shifting, which we like to see. And now we're starting to see kind of a more of, okay, we want to lock things down, but we don't want to disadvantage the business from being able to function. And and I get it. Like when we work with the companies who are, I guess, I don't know, the uber secure. I mean, it's not even uber secure. It's just like very difficult to do anything with. It's not because it's fear. It's like, hey, if we open something up, if something goes wrong, it's us who's on the line. And and we're starting to see kind of the shift. So from a platform engineering side on the security side, what we try to do is come in and explain and show and demonstrate that we can make your environment more secure with level of automation. For example, controls in Sentinel. So Sentinel is grabbing all of the rules and alerts. Well, a lot of organizations Uh, go in and do all that stuff by hand. We explain like, hey, we've automated all of those policies. For you to change a policy or for anyone to change a policy, they have to go in and run a pipeline that gets approved by two people to go in there. So no one can later say, oh, well, I, I, I didn't turn that off. I don't know how it got turned off. No, you have to change it, check it into source control, run the pipeline, get an approval, get an approval, two approvals goes into production. No one has access to production. We use PIM now, and no one should be in production because through automation, if you need something into production, you should go through the pipelines. They should run, and they should get approved straight in, even if you need it immediately. If not, now you request access, right? So it's it's security so broad because like some of the topics I'm covering here are just from um, a development standpoint, right? And we're doing also a ton of security and a ton of things on identity and identity access management. We've done, and I'll tell you, and I'm gonna, I want Daniel to speak about this because this is one of the hottest topics that we're running into right now is on Azure AD B2C. I'm telling you, and it's not super new, but even people at Microsoft are like, well, what is it? Granted, like the suite of tools at Microsoft now is so vast, there's impossible for everyone to know everyone, everything. but. Daniel, talk to talk to the team about kind of the security and managing customers' identities. And I like talk specifically about like healthcare insurance. You know, the payer side on the healthcare because that's really where we're seeing a vast uh, amount of interest and people starting to realize like we don't want to carry and deal with these identities. Yeah, I, I will do it, but really quickly, I want to summarize on the previous topic also when yeah. it comes to platform engineering and security aspect. So for, for, first of all, I want to uh, say that. It's about the awareness in the in the team. Like uh, 
we face this issue that many people from different kinds of teams, they are focused on, on their area and specific specialization. Yes. And they do not see that, you know, like when we, we are designing the platform, when we are designing the automation, all the dots have to be connected. Yes. So this, this is about the awareness. The second thing is that sometimes, you know, like when it comes to technology and um, some uh, functionalities in the Azure cloud, we have to also, you know, like explain them like, okay, guys, you have a bunch of features in the Azure cloud, like uh, workload identities, which you can use with Kubernetes, for instance, to avoid the situation that you have to manage some credentials, secrets can leak and so on and so on. So that's the second thing, like to, you know, like also discuss the uh, potential new solutions in the Azure cloud. And the third thing is that we are trying to have those conversations from different perspectives and vectors like, okay, it's about the identity management when we talk about security. So who can access uh, DevOps automation, who can access environments like production one, as Pete mentioned. You know, like on the other side, we have stuff related uh, with uh, related to managing the environment and, you know, like connecting between different services, like connection strings, manage identities and so on. So that's why we are trying to, you know, like connect all the dots. When it comes to uh, identity and, and security, because that was the question, uh, initial question about the Azure AD B2C. So maybe I will start from another perspective. So customer uh, identity and access management, because this is what B2C is all about. In the past, it was about the corporate world. We have this silo when we have organization, we have other active directory, some active directory on premises, and we have to manage corporate identities, like managing identities of our employees. And that was pretty, I, I don't want to say simple, but you know, like it's closed world. Uh, we know what's happening there. We can control devices. We can control users. We can add different kinds of, you know, like constraints and policies. But with the external world, the thing is different. So when you think, for instance, about the industries, uh, in this case, like for instance, healthcare, you can think about the application that will be provided to doctors or patients so they can, you know, like authenticate and then access their records in the application. So in this case, from where they will, you know, like access this application, how they will access this application, it's different than in a corporate world. So that's why right now we also see uh, this, um, I, I would say, big movement into customer identity and access management in those different industries, because those companies want to build applications, want to, you know, like provide applications to the external world, as I mentioned, like in healthcare for patients, but the same is in the insurance, for instance. So customers can sign into the application uh, they can, you know, like access different kinds of functionalities or fin financial data. Yes. And to secure this access, this is where we use Azure AD B2C and also some other services uh, within the um, uh, starter kit we have. It allows people to bring their identities into these applications so that you're not managing those identities. When I talk about identities, you know how you go up to a website and it says, log into this website, create, give me your email, set up a password. You don't need to do all of that stuff anymore. It's like you can bring your Microsoft ID, you can bring your Google ID, you can bring your Facebook ID, you manage that password, you take care of it, right? We allow you to interface with our app and we know it's secured and we can verify who you are 
by sending a request out to Facebook or to Microsoft and saying, hey, here's what we got for username and password. Is that correct? Cool. Come on in. So we don't manage that stuff anymore. That way, if there's a breach into our organization, if someone finds a password inside like a uh, unsecured database, like we're not like at fault. It also allows you as the person to control your information because with GDPR, we now have checkboxes that says, hey, you can log into my app. And if you want to delete your identity, you can delete your identity. From, from an organization perspective, we don't now need to manage that, and it's not a risk to us. And it also has some other cool features like, hey, you can come into my app. And by the way, I'm going to ask you four or five questions, maybe once a month. Let's say it's healthcare, and you're, you're logging in to check for your prescription. And it says, hey, did you do your prescription last month? Or we have a timer. And we say, hey, every like four, five, eight months, hey, did you do your physical this year? we can gather some information from these people, attach it to them, but we don't need to know like their username and password. And, or, or what's your age? You know, are you between here and there? How often do you do a physical? And they can answer those questions so we can attach those extra metadata to these profiles and also gather them on login. So really, it's honestly really, really cool stuff. Uh, and it helps developers. Yeah, yeah. it is a huge topic. Uh, and really quick from a sales pitch, we've yeah. automated the deployment of this whole thing. So if we talk about levels of automation, we have a way of deploying it fully automated with clients. Obviously we have to gather some requirements from them, but then we plug it into the scripts. We provide those scripts to the client. They own those things forever. They get a whole pipeline that deploys it. If they need to deploy another environment, they have it, you know, uh, and we train them up on how to use it. They get full documentation, the whole thing, all checked into GitHub or ADO. No, that's cool. I, I was actually, you summarized that really well, because I was going to say, this is a way that I feel like we can kind of wrap our arms around the whole conversation as we, as we close things up here. But this is a way that you can really optimize your environment, do, do some more with, with less. And as you optimize around the identity management pieces, you're also increasing security side of the house as well. So you killed two burns with one stone. It's like a great big hunk. Big, big, big <laughs> hug. Yes. All right. Before we go, let's mm -hmm. all get a smile so we can take a little photo. All right. We we can do that. Thank you, guys. Kelly? For uh, yeah, we'll we'll Thank take a photo. You. I don't know if that. Uh, yeah. How, how well is this going to play on the uh, audio version of it? <laughs> I don't we'll know. Let, <laughs> let me let me real quick. We'll let you take the photo, but I just want to yeah. say thank you guys for being here. Yeah. I think that there's more conversation to come. And so I, I would love that. super pleased that you're here. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much for having us. We'd love to come back uh, another time. I know. Uh, are we podcast number one? Yeah, you know, we could well, call it number that. Number one in our hearts. Number one yeah. in our hearts. Apparently we're not. Apparently yeah. we're not. We got bumped. All right. Well, we'd, we'd love to come back. Uh, thank you again for having us, guys. Uh, and we appreciate all the work you guys put into this, right? And I know this is hard from the Microsoft side. I'm glad to see it move out because I feel like a lot of the topics, a lot of the things that we talk about are broader than just Microsoft and can be shared with a lot of the clients out there. So thank you for what you guys do. Thank, thank you, you so much. Even though you were late. <laughs> all right. I got a picture right then. <laughs> you did. You bastard. All right. You better tell that. All right. <laughs> All right, everyone. Take care. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, Daniel. Thanks, Daniel. Go get some Glad points. you were here, man. Thank you. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> hey. See you, buddy. All right.